God, we love you, and uh, we're excited to, to dig in once again to this series. God, I pray that you would, as you do every week, speak through me. Don't just let it be, be my words up here speaking, but God, would it be your words that speak through me to your people? And if we're not here for you, we're here for the wrong reasons, God. And so would you just, would you just speak through me this morning? God, we love you, and we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are uh, in week two this week of our series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, as found in Luke 11. Uh, so you can go ahead and get there. We're going to be in Luke 11 mostly today. Um, I promise this week won't have as much flipping as last week. Uh, last week, uh, I've heard on front, was a little excessive. That's okay. It was important to do that. So uh, we'll, we'll stick in maybe one or two or, or maybe, maybe three places today. So, uh, But uh, as we go, I, last week, we really just opened this series uh, talking through just Luke 11, 1, right? And, and the Jesus is praying, and, he, and the disciples, after he's done praying, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, right? And so we, we talked about just why, why is it that we pray? Why do we pray? And so we talked about this, there's three core reasons why we pray. Why we pray to, to, to really express our need for God, right? We, we need God. We cannot do this alone. And so we pray to express that need to God. We pray to build intimacy with God, right? Like any relationship, we need conversation to make this intimacy work, Right? No, conversa- no, no relationship can happen one-sided, and so we need both sides. We need to be able to, to speak to God, and we need to be able to sit and listen to God as he speaks to us as well to build this intimacy. And we also uh, we pray to, to have the, the experience of being used by God, and how, how great of an experience is that. But today we're going to dive into the actual prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in Luke 11 to pray uh, and uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into this. But I want to ask you a question first. Have you, have you ever met someone or known someone or, or been around someone that when they pray, you just, you just want to just sit in their presence? Like you just, you just know that they are speaking, that they, have, they must have a direct line to God, right? Because this is just a, a powerful, you can just sense the presence of God in this place as this person is praying. Have you ever been in that place? I heard a story this week as I was kind of looking around for this of, of David Platt, who does some of our studies that we've done, and uh, he said he was in a country one time where it was illegal to, to be a Christian, <coughs> and he was there to, to do ministry with him and just kind of see, see uh, how they do things and see how they're getting along with, with it being illegal, you know, and he said, when it was time to pray... He said they gathered in a circle. They circled around the room, and he said they just, they just fell face down. They began to just, just weep. And for an hour, they were just praying and weeping. And he said they weren't just these, they weren't like huge theological prayers that he was getting them translated. And they were things like, God, thank you for not forgetting us. God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for keeping us safe. It was just these, these prayers that weren't necessarily super theological in nature, but they were just... They were how they fell. They, 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 and he said when they got up an hour later around the room, there was just the circle of tears around the room as these people prayed. Now, why, how, what is it that, that makes people pray like this? What is it that can, that can have people be praying like this? And I think really it's this, this. As I was thinking about that, I think the reason that people can do this is because they have such a desire for God. 
such a desire for God. Last week we talked about being, having kind of a desperation for God. This week I want to talk about this desire for God that we have in prayer because this desire for God is really two things, I think. This desire for God is, is really the heart of prayer. Right? When we desire God and we desire Him in prayer, we begin to pray for things that, 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 that just don't really make sense to us sometimes. Right, but this desire for God is so important. I wrote a paper in college uh, about a guy named Jonathan Edwards. I actually wrote a couple papers about this guy. He, was, uh, <clears throat> he has this famous quote, and here's what he says. A person who has a knowledge of, of doctrine and theology only, without religious affection, without having this desire, if you will, has never engaged in true religion. I'm bold in saying this, but I, leave that, I believe that no one ever seeks salvation. No one ever cries for wisdom. No one ever wrestles with God. No one ever kneels in prayer with a heart that remains unaffected. In a word, there is never, never any great achievement by the things of religion without a heart that is deeply affected by those things. Until you have a desire for God... Until you have a desire, just a, a hunger for God, your, your prayers will, will maybe seem lacking a little bit. Because why do we do it? We do it just because, at that point, just because we're supposed to. We do it out of duty, not out of a desire for God, not, of a, not out of a, a hunger for more of God, not out of a, a want to be in more of an intimate relationship with God. We do it because we have to, right? I think having a desire for God is really the heart of prayer. When we have this desire for God, last week we talked about praying because we, want, we, we need God, but I think there's also a step in there that says we not only pray that we need God, we pray because we want God. We pray because we desire God, that, that we, we long for Him. Our souls crave God. Our, our, our desire for God is the heart of our prayer. I think it's also the secret of our prayer. Because as we begin to desire the things that God desires, and we begin to pray for the things that, that, that God would desire us to pray for, we long for the things that God longs for. Our hearts break for the things that break God's heart. Our prayers begin to change, and our prayers come in line with, with God's desire. And when our prayers are in line with, with God's desires, man, the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can pray and say, that mountain move, and that mountain will move. Right, this is our, our desire for God, I think, is so, so important. And I think we'll see that unfold, I think, in our, in our passage today. So if you turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 11. We're going to read verse 1 again, and we'll stop at verse 4. So let's just read this this morning. 11.1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, no doubt there's some of you out there, if you aren't reading along, you're saying, you skipped some parts, Pastor, right? That's not the Lord's Prayer that I know, right? There's some other, there's some other parts to this, and that's true. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 
uh, it says it a little different. It says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, there's, there's little more in that one, right? Luke, Luke uh, kind of slims it down a little bit, right? Why, why the difference here? Well, what's, the, what's the difference here? In Matthew chapter 6, what's the difference between here, right? Well, Matthew, uh, this, this, the placement is a little different as well, right? Matthew puts this, puts this right square in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is preaching to a group of people, we can assume, and this is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's on a mountain, he's preaching. This is right in the middle of that, right? In, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, right? This is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Luke does not place it there. Luke places it a different place. Jesus is, is praying by himself, and one of his disciples, he's kind of in private with his disciples, and one of the disciples says, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds with this. All right, so that, that's a little bit, right? And Matthew puts it a couple chapters before Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke places it after Jesus feeds the 5,000. So what can we what can we understand from this? Well, I think there's the scholars of, I was reading this week about this because I was even confused by it. Like, this just this sounds wrong, right? This sounds, this isn't the Lord's Prayer that I know, that, I, that I've come to love. And <clears throat> most scholars say that if we try to, to reconcile these two prayers as one and the same, we are not reading the Bible faithfully. That if this was important to God, if this was important to Jesus, that, that there's no doubt that Jesus could have taught in the Sermon on the Mount this prayer. And then in private with the disciples, as the disciples are asking, Lord, teach us to pray, he's teaching us this prayer. So what can we get from this? Jesus, I, I think what we get from this is that Jesus isn't trying to, to teach us just a word for word, say this when you pray. Right, he's teaching us, maybe some, uh, giving us a model, like a model of, of these, are the, these are the kinds of things that you should pray for. This is, this is the, the way, this is, the, this is kind of the line you should pray in. Right? This, is, this, is the, this is the way that you should pray, but maybe not these are the, the words that you should pray. And so I think, oh, what is this? <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think if you go back to Luke 11 with me, I think what we'll find is that as we, as we read these different phrases that, that Jesus is, is asking his disciples to read, I think we'll find four different desires that we should pray in. Four different desires that we have that we pray in line here. All right, the first one is this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What's our desire there? Our desire is that we desire his glory in prayer. That we desire his glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You know, I thought for a long time that this, this portion of the prayer was really just saying, God, your name is holy. Right? And that's, that's not false. Right? We do say that. We come and when we sing our songs, right? we, we sing holy, holy, holy. We sing these songs that, that give holiness to God. But this is not what the prayer is saying. These prayers are written in passive tense. They're saying, God, make your name holy. God, you are holy, but God, God, make your name holy, right? Do, <clears throat> it's, it, that's the picture here, is that we're asking God to, to, to let his glory be made known. God, make, make your name holy. Let your kingdom come here. 
And I think that we need a, a picture kind of, of, of the God that we're, we're, we're talking about here. As we're saying, God, make your name holy. Father God, make your name holy. Let your kingdom come. Who is this God that we are praying to and asking him to bring his glory, to make his glory made known? Who are we praying to here? And I think just verse 2 here gives us three different names for God, right? We see God the Father. And we'll talk about the Father in a couple weeks here. The last week of the series, we're going we're gonna to end the series talking about God as Father. But for this week, I just want to just, just make this clear. If you leave, I want you to know this about God the Father. The same God who created everything and sustains the universe, this same God calls you child. The God who, who created the stars and, and breathed out the stars and knows them by name. The God who knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. This same God calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. This is God our Father. This is, I, I think, sometimes it's hard to, to think about God as Father because some of us didn't really have great dads. But if you think about God as Father, which we're going to do in a couple weeks, I just want us to get this this morning. I just want you to, a little just teaser. This same God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, calls you child. Yeah, if you leave with nothing else, just feel joy in that, right? Just feel hope in that, that this same God calls you child, right? We know that God is the Holy One. Right, hallowed be your name. God, you, you are holy, but, but God, make your name holy. Right, so this, this God is, is the Holy One. Now, this is a, a characteristic of God that we find all over the Old Testament, right? You read Isaiah 6, and Isaiah gets a, just a glimpse of God here, and, and he sees these angels, and they're saying what? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, right? This is a, a phrase when you say things three times in this culture, it's kind of a, a phrase of perfection. So we're saying, holy, holy, holy. You are perfectly holy, right? We see this all over the New Testament. We see it in Ezekiel. We see it in, in, uh, in Psalms. We see this literally all over the place in the Old Testament. And we're saying, God, make yourself known as the one that there is no one else like. God, there is no one like you. May everyone see that there is no one like you. Make your name holy. Make your name great. God is the Holy One. He's the Father. He's the Holy One. And He's the coming King. He's the coming King. Your kingdom come. Right in the New Testament, we begin to hear this, this phrase, the kingdom of God. I think we can see it before that in Scripture. And that's part of the small group as well. It's going to be a great small group talking about the kingdom of God. But we begin to hear this phrase, the kingdom of God in the New Testament. And it and kind of is inaugurated as, as Jesus comes in. And so, but, but this also looks forward, right? We know that the kingdom of God is, is here, but it's not yet. It looks forward to the, to, the, to the time when God comes again and he reigns over his kingdom again. And when we are praying, we are desiring that the glory of the Father God, a God who is holy, and the God who is the king over all things, we're desiring that this glory be made known. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
And we pray this both, both personally and globally, right? We pray this personally. God, may your glory be made known in my life. God, may your kingdom come. May, may, I, may I just see your kingdom come. And we pray this globally as well. God, may your glory be made known throughout the world. May your glory be made known in, in, in all the universe, in all the world. May every, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, as Scripture says, be, be, may your glory be made known so that one day every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that you are Lord. This is our prayer. And we, pray this, we pray this personally. We pray this globally. Right? We desire the glory of God to be made known. We continue in this. Give us each day our daily bread. We desire the provision of God. We desire the provision of God. This picture takes us all the way back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 16. We don't necessarily need to go there. If you want to go there, you can. But Exodus chapter 16 you remember as the, the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, they're, they're, they've just been released from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering in the desert and they're, they're hungry, obviously, right? They're wandering in the desert. They're hungry. And God literally provides them food every day, literally bread from heaven every day, manna from heaven every single day. And God was providing for their everyday needs. And I think one of, the, one of the coolest parts of this in Exodus chapter 16 is that those who, who tried to take more, more than they needed, more than they, more than they really needed, if they, if they had anything stored up, that it, the next morning when they woke up, it would be rotten, it would be molded, it would be unedible. God's saying, trust me for today. Give me your, I, I will provide for you whatever you need today. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we, we get a little glimpse of why God did this. If you turn with me, you don't need to if you're flipping fingers or tired from last week. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 3 says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Verse 3, he tells us why he got the, he, he humbled you. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Give us today our daily bread. Now help us, God, to realize that our sustenance is more than just food and water. That our sustenance is to live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God, give us today our daily bread. God, provide for me today what I need. And God, I trust you to provide what I need today. Right, give us today our daily bread. We desire for the provision of God. Psalm 16, 2. Right, Apart from you, I have no good thing, the psalmist says. God, I trust you. I trust you to provide for my needs. I trust you. We go back to Luke, Luke 11. Verse 4. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. What are we desiring here? We're desiring the grace of God. 
this grace of God that is freely given to you and freely given to anyone who would ask, right? Forgive us our sins. These four words just blow open the floodgates of grace from heaven. God, forgive me of my sins, and grace is given to you. I, I want to just, just remind you this week that you are never too far gone for the grace of God to not find you. You are never too far gone for the grace of God to come in and to, to, to just, it literally takes this, God, forgive me of my sins, and the grace of God is there. The grace of God goes ahead of you, it's behind you, it's all around you, it is always there for you. All you need to do is accept it. This is the, the greatest thing about the grace of God. What an incredible thought that you are never too far gone. But he says this, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, this isn't, a, uh, this isn't like an equation here, that, that we're forgiven if we forgive. Right? We don't have to forgive others to be forgiven, but as we're forgiven, we need to be forgiving others. Does that make sense? I mean, in Matthew chapter 6, the other, the other, uh, the other Lord's Prayer... <laughs> In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus actually, just following this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, right? And then verse 14 in Matthew 6, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I, I used to think, man, how harsh is this? Right? This is supposed to be a God of love and grace and like... So you're saying there's something on this, right? God, I need to forgive other people for you to forgive me. But I think, here's the thing. If we, if we can honestly accept the forgiveness of God and not forgive other people, I think you've misunderstood the forgiveness of God. That the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, goes far beyond just something that you've done wrong. The grace of God comes into your life and it changes your life. It makes you someone that you are, and behold, all things are being made new. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And as someone who is forgiven, who are you not to forgive other people? Just as in Christ, you are forgiven. Forgive other people. We, we, we pray, we, we desire the grace, the grace of God. Right, Matthew chapter, if you just turn the page back, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Then Jesus kind of says something here that I think applies here. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I think we see, like, this is a picture of, of the grace of God not just being just for me. Right, this, is a, this is an all-encompassing thing. This is just, it's bigger than just a forgiveness of sins. It's, it's, a, it's a whole life change. It's a whole life shift. And so for you to, to be forgiven and not forgive, I think really, I think Jesus would call that sin. See, I think there's, there's such an importance in our faith on forgiveness and on restoration, not just in our own lives, but in our interpersonal relationships as well. 
We need to be people who are characterized by love and forgiveness. Now, it's easy to, to hold grudges. And it's easy to, to think poorly on people. But just as you are forgiven by Christ, we need to forgive other people. I think I could probably preach a whole sermon just on that. I'm not going to do that this morning. But I want to just let that soak in. As you are forgiven, you need to be someone who forgives. In the same way. Now, I don't know about you. But while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me and forgave me. All right, there's going to be people in your life who, who you need to forgive, and they might not change a thing. But your forgiveness goes there. It goes ahead of them. It goes ahead of you. And you say, just as in Christ, I, I was a sinner, and God forgave me. Even though you are, I feel like you're still wronging me, I forgive you. I forgive you. We need to be people who are characterized by forgiveness. And then the last thing we need to do is be people who desire his guidance. And lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. We need God to, to guide us and to lead us, not into temptation, but, but in, in, a, in a path and in a way that honors and glorifies him. This is the path. This is the way that God is asking us to, to go here. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, right? Deliver us from evil. This is what the the Matthew passage says, right? That our, our path is, is sometimes we, we see temptation, right? And we, we see it, and, and in our human minds, here's what we do. Here's the line of what I think is, is right and wrong, and I begin to toe this line because I can do everything here on back, and that's not sin. So I'm going to toe this line and see. What happens, though, is when, when we begin to toe this line and we begin to put ourselves in, in, in close proximity to our temptations, any weak moment, anything can happen. So I think we need God to, to lead us, not in temptation, but, but away from evil, right? Away from all this stuff. We need God to, to guide us into the way that he would have for us, which is not on this line. Right, there's, a, there's a way that God would have us to live. There are, there are certain things that God would have us, certain ways that God would have us live in our lives. Right, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the types of things that should, should, should describe our life, not, not how close can I get to this thing before calling it sin. Lead us not into temptation. Right, we, need, we need the guidance of God. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this on our own. So here's your challenge this week. I want us as a church to, and individually as well, to be done with desireless prayer. Here's what I mean by that. If you're just praying because you feel like you have to, it'd be better that you just didn't. I want you to pray because you desire God. I want you to pray because you want 
to be in his presence. I want you to pray because you're hungry for more of God, that you, you want to build this intimacy with him, and you're just praying, God, God, show me your glory. May your glory be revealed in my life. God, may, you, may your provision be very real in my life today. God, I need forgiveness today. I, I need this today. May I also be someone who forgives. And God, may you guide me today. I, I'm going through some paths that are windy and, and narrow, and there's some, there's some traps in these paths. God, I need you to guide me through these paths. I think when we start praying out of a heart that is desiring God and not out of a heart that just feels like it's a duty for us to pray because we call ourselves a Christian, when we stop doing that and we start praying with a heart of desire, I think our our prayer life will just explode. I think your desire for God will explode. I think seeing the, the, the faithfulness of God in your life will just become so much more obvious as you pray and you desire God. I want us to be a church and I want us to be individuals who pray with desire. Who pray prayers who are full of of desire. God, we desire your glory. We desire your provision. We desire your grace. We desire your guidance. I just want our desire for God to be the heart of why we pray and be the heart of our prayer. Let's do that this week together. Let's pray. God, God, we love you. God, and we're, we're blessed to be in your presence this morning. We're blessed to be in this place where we can worship, where we can read, where we can open up your word and talk about it together as a, as a church family. God, my prayer this week is for, for me and for everyone in here, that we would begin to pray with desire for God. That our desire for God would just be the heart of why we pray. That we would begin to seek you in all things. We'd be able to just desire you in all things. God, would you, we would just pray that your glory would be made known in our lives and throughout the world. Would we, would we pray that, that your provision, would we trust in your provision every single day? God, would we, would we just pray for your grace and your guidance in our lives? God, we want you. As Moses said in Exodus, God, we're not going if you're not going with us. God, will we have that kind of hunger and that kind of desire for you as we pray. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand with me? I just want to just pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning. Just receive this blessing. May the God of all grace and peace and love and joy, may he give you a glimpse of how much he desires you this week. And may you pray with desire. May you pray with hearts open and minds wide to hear where he has. May he go ahead of you and be in your homes and your conversations and your workplaces. May you make a difference for him in your world this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.